Canada is a land rich with remarkable landscape, flora, fauna, stories, characters, heroes, villains, geniuses, and buffoons. Yet few Canadians celebrate their own, from the medical achievements of Dr. Maud Abbott, the tactical ingenuity of Gabriel Dumont or Arthur Curry. Few marvel at the off-the-charts testosterone of Sam Steele, the well-before-his-time wit of Bob Edwards, or the brilliantly canny statesmanship of John A. Macdonald. What Canada does really, really poorly is brand its past. That's where America has Canada and the world beat. No contest, not even close. Don't get me wrong. America's history and people and stories and landmarks are remarkable, fascinating, enthralling. What the U.S. does so well is spin their past into Americana. So strong is its zeal to do so that much of its popular brand is based on myths. George Washington was an outstanding leader and a formidable commander, but he neither chopped down a cherry tree nor threw a silver dollar across the Delaware. And while his teeth were false, they were not made of wood, but rather a combination of cow's teeth, human teeth, and elephant ivory. Though it's considered heresy to say so, it's highly unlikely that Betsy Ross created the first Stars and Stripes flag. History celebrates that in the War of 1812, a dying Captain James Lawrence impelled his men, don't give up the ship. Only in the six-point legal type does it say that soon after, his crew, well, gave up the ship. Abner Dumbleday almost certainly did not invent baseball in Elihu Finney's cow pasture at Cooperstown, New York. Even the great modern American icon, Yogi Berra, admits, I never said half the things I said. A brand can be real, though it doesn't have to be. A brand can represent a person, a place, a thing, or an idea. A brand might be products, or services, or companies, or people trying to sell you something. Or it might be an animal, a city, a beloved grandparent, or the street where you grew up. A brand can be shaped, preserved, invented, attacked, defended, or forgotten. Anything we store in our brain, we brand or allow to have branded for us. Brands reside in your imagination, where some dominate while others slowly fade to nothing. My name is Terry O'Reilly. Whether we use the word or not, we all see the world in brands. Branding is how our brain determines how to store things and in what priority. Let me show you what I mean. Over the next few minutes, I'm going to take you on a tour of six remarkable brands. They aren't necessarily the best of anything, and not all are obvious choices. As brands, all of them, to me, are fascinating. And the more you come to understand why they fascinate, the better you can begin to understand why things become important. And the more you understand that, the better you're equipped to decipher the method and the madness behind the thousands of sales messages launched your way 
in the age of persuasion. I want chicken. I want liver. I want a bottle of Coca-Cola, Donnie. see me the board. Hey, great. A toothpaste should fight tapping. I can't believe I ate that all. Amazing new cleavage control clip. It gives you an immediate lift without padding or enhancers. And now, Terry O'Reilly and the Age of Persuasion. There you go again. Hello, I'm Terry. Welcome, Terry. And I, uh... I'm a Beatles fan. That's great, Terry. It's all right, Terry. More properly, a Beatles nut. Listen carefully, and you can hear my wife's eyes rolling. But since we're sharing, let me run something else past you. My favorite band is also a remarkable brand. Why? I am so glad you asked. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles! First, consider their look. They were like nothing that had come before, with their hair combed forward, not back like Elvis. Their Pierre Cardin collarless suits, Paul's violin Hofner bass, all new. All became iconic. It's been a hard day's their influence on the world's culture, styles, and trends may be unsurpassed. They almost single-handedly created fashions, and not just in hairstyle, but in clothing, music, and attitude. When someone mentions John Lennon glasses, does anyone not know what they mean? Their flirtation with the sitar gave East Indian music and Ravi Shankar instant worldwide popularity. I need somebody Help. More than any band, they changed the music business. Until the Beatles, sales of singles were a priority within the industry. Album material was considered filler. The Beatles helped perfect the art of the album, with a connection and flow in its songs. In the mid-60s, they pioneered music videos, shooting performances of their songs for distribution to TV programs which spared them personal appearances. The suddenness and scope of the Beatles' popularity is simply phenomenal. Here are the Beatles! When they packed New York's Shea Stadium, they became the first entertainers to play a large outdoor sports facility. The Beatles brand was built on music whose popularity and sales becomes even more awe-inspiring with time. 20 number one singles in North America, 19 number one albums. At one billion albums sold and counting, they are the best-selling recording artists in history. Yesterday all my troubles seem so far away. As a brand, they may have been the first rock and roll act to have a logo, the distinctive word Beatles with the drop-down T that adorned Ringo's bass drum. They consistently surprised. I'm a firm believer that a successful brand must be surprising if it's to remain relevant. 
the Beatles never stuck to the safety of a formula. Each album made quantum leaps in sound, creativity, even cover art. They were fearless in taking creative risks. And while their music explored themes and ideas, like so many great brands, they stayed by one consistent mission statement, peace and love. Uh, Terry. Hold on, Keith. In another act of brand pioneering, they grew their brand through their own record label, Apple, with the innovative design of a Granny Smith apple on one side, then the split apple on the flip side. It was inspired by a Rene Magritte painting Paul owned. Uh, Terry. Just a minute, Keith. I love the many ways the Beatles instinctively managed their brand, choosing not to license their music or make it available for compilation albums. There would be no Beatles on a K-Tel collection. Terry? Shh, I'm on a roll here, Keith. Beyond their influence, perhaps the greatest testament to the Beatles' brand is their staying power. Consider the drawing power of the show Love in Las Vegas, or that the Beatles' one album, released in 2K, sold over 28 million copies worldwide. A quarter of them to teenagers. Terry? Yes, Keith? We got five more brands to do. So much Beatles, so little time. To spot another remarkable brand, you do well to come here, a snowball's throw outside Tuktoyaktuk in the Northwest Territories. That's him over there in the white suit, the polar bear, Ursus Maritimus, who could just as easily be classed Remarkabilis Brandibus. All right, quiet down. I work alone. When Coca-Cola sought an icon that would transcend language and culture, it chose the polar bear with spectacular results. More recently, when the anti-global warming movement needed a poster beast, there was only one bear for the job. What's so fascinating about the polar bear as a brand is that so few humans will ever see it in its home environment. Yet worldwide, it elicits the same vivid image. At once cute and cuddly, powerful and compelling. Not bad for someone who can kill seals and wear a fur coat without catching hell from protest groups. I'm at 1058 West Washington Boulevard, Chicago. Zip code 60607 if you must know. This is Harpo Studios. Just for being in this audience, I might get a Blackberry or a car. At the very least, I'll get to sit in the presence of one of the most formidable entertainment brands of the 21st century, Oprah Gale Winfrey. A name altered from its original Orpah after a woman named in the Hebrew Bible. Her backstory is compelling, gritty, and yes, heartbreaking. She was born in Mississippi to a poor, unwed teenage mother and raised in inner-city Milwaukee. She was sexually assaulted at the age of nine. At 14, she gave birth to a son who died in infancy. In the 80s, two remarkable things happened. On the advice of her friend, film critic Roger Ebert, whom Oprah once dated, she chose to syndicate her new Chicago-based talk show. And the rest is 
so on and so forth. My God, the dead has arisen. Second, in 1985, she appeared as Sophia in The Color Purple, based on Alice Walker's novel, for which Miss Winfrey was nominated for an Oscar. Sitting in jail down nearby, done rot to death. I know what it like, Miss Celie. Want to go somewhere and can't. Her accomplishments from there on are staggering. In a world that still finds it necessary to categorize by race, she's been ranked on several occasions as the world's only black billionaire. Earlier on the show, you saw me interviewing Paul Potts' uh, YouTube video. She's a philanthropist, activist, magazine publisher, and Broadway producer. She has her own XM satellite channel, and she fosters careers, including that of Dr. Phil McGraw. Like the Beatles, did I mention I was a Beatles nut? Oprah's brand is consistent. She's about drive and compassion. She elicits empathy. And she speaks with a voice that prompts millions to echo, yeah, me too. And her influence is undeniable. A big apology today on daytime TV. Author James Fry confessed to Oprah Winfrey this morning, admitting that he made up details about every character in his memoir, a million little pieces and Oprah is not happy. She's been credited and accused of popularizing a culture of confession, which sometimes follows storylines she might not have expected. Every one of the people in the book existed. Mm -hmm. I altered things about all of them. It says a lot about Oprah that she had him there and said that right to him because she just as easily... So widely regarded is Oprah that even her mistakes become triumphs. At least, so says another celebrity mega-brand, Barbara Walters. Not everybody always does the right thing, but Oprah does more of the right things than almost anyone I I agree. I believe in 08, I have found the answer to Miss Pittman's question. So mighty is Oprah's brand that her endorsement in the spring of 2008 of Barack Obama for the Democratic presidential nomination made international headlines. I'm here to tell you, Iowa, he is the one. Such is her reputation that if you're on Oprah, you've made it. Just ask Leo Tolstoy, though you might need a medium to do it. Only someone with the brand clout of Oprah could put Anna Karenina on the bestseller list a century and a quarter after its first publication. Getting to notice the remarkable brands all around, you'll come to see that they're not confined by category. A brand can just as easily be a media icon as an Arctic mammal or the greatest band of all time. In fact, there's at least one remarkable brand that was planted and which flourishes in one of the most hostile desert environments on the continent. My name is Terry O'Reilly, and this is the Age of Persuasion. If you're going to sin, wrote Martin Luther, sin boldly. Ha! Even the great theologian couldn't have prophesied the ultimate expression of those words which sprouted up five centuries later in the middle of America's Mojave Desert. Sin City feels like too many syllables. One word, 
Vegas tells you everything you need to know. It's one word that embraces ultimate opulence, cheese, excess, even family-friendly hedonism. And for some 40 million visitors each year, it's absolutely irresistible. The four-mile neon explosion that is the Las Vegas Strip is home to some 18 of the world's 25 largest hotels. Not since Babylon has a city spent so much on itself. On the Strip, the $50 million nine-acre Bellagio fountains are the most fun anyone can have with 1,200 water nozzles and 4,500 lights set to music. Hard to believe it was nothing but hot, peopleless desert at the dawn of the 20th century. In the early 1800s, years before anyone knew what a Wayne Newton was, a party of Spanish merchants led by Antonio Armillo named the spot Las Vegas, the Meadow. In 1905, it became a railway town. After that, three important things happened. Gambling was legalized in 1931. The Nellis Air Force Base was built right nearby. And a Brooklyn-born gangster, Benjamin Bugsy Siegel, spotted a marketing opportunity. Siegel, in cahoots with fellow mobster Meyer Lansky, designed a city of unabashed fun where our service folk could blow off steam. Is there a more branded city on earth than Vegas? Evidence of the Vegas brand is salted throughout popular culture. From the dozens of films set there, even the hotels, past and present, known worldwide. The Sahara, the Flamingo, the Mirage, Caesar's Palace, and the Riviera. Today, casinos are everywhere, but Las Vegas sits unchallenged as the brand name for decadence, glitz, and over-the-top entertainment. Of the Herculean tasks required to sustain a great brand, one of the most daunting is finding ways to remain relevant from one generation to the next. Yet. It's a feat accomplished seamlessly by a Danish-born toy manufacturer who built an empire brick by brick. It was Danish carpenter Ole Kirk Christensen who conceived the idea of Lego blocks, from a Danish phrase, leg goat, meaning play well. Up through the 50s, conventional wisdom had it that wooden building toys were the only way to go. Just one word. But Christensen listened to a different voice. Plastics. Plastics. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. By the late 50s, it was Christensen's son, Gottfred, who refined the modern Lego brick design and developed the plastic that worked best. By the 60s, in toy store aisles worldwide, Lego began to catch on. And here, to me, is where the brand becomes remarkable. Within the company, the Lego slogan is Det Betster er ik for Gott, meaning only the best is good enough. Hey, Keith, I think I pronounced that pretty... Hello? It's Denmark on the phone. 
Enough already speaking Danish. It hurts your ears. <clears throat> gotcha. Wisely, Lego keeps its boastful slogan quiet, letting the product speak for itself. First, Lego is universal. It transcends genders, countries, languages, and cultures. Again, like the greatest brands, it's consistent. Lego bricks made in the early 60s fit perfectly with Lego bricks marketed today. Yet it's the relevance of the Lego brand from one generation to the next that I admire the most. As an imagination toy, Lego playsets keep up to date, often by fusing themselves to pop culture trends. The Empire is on the attack, and the fate of the troops is in your hands. With the new Lego Star Wars Imperial Landing Craft. Lego sets have been created for Star Wars, SpongeBob SquarePants, Harry Potter, Indiana Jones, and Batman. Each sent sold separately. Unlike so many hangers-on from the 60s in the toy category, Lego doesn't need baby boomer nostalgia to drive sales today. Instead, it relies on carefully selected brand extensions including Lego Bionicles, geared towards kids 7 to 16 years of age. Against all reason, Lego leapt with surprising ease to computer games, with Lego-style characters as protagonists. Recording stars are releasing Lego animated music videos, and there are four Lego theme parks, though the Lego company holds only a minority interest. To thrive for more than four decades in the brutally competitive toy category, only to have its brand get better and better, LEGO built its place among the world's most remarkable brands. I saved the greatest for last. The best? Mm, that's debatable. But the greatest? No contest. I am the greatest! <laughs> By Cassius Clay! This is the legend of Cassius Clay, the most beautiful fighter in the world today. <laughs> he talks a great deal and brags indeedy of a muscular punch that's incredibly speedy. He graced the cover of Sports Illustrated 37 times and in 1999 was named Athlete of the Century by SI and the BBC. This kid fights great. He's got speed and endurance. But if you sign to fight him, increase your insurance. His slogan, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, is as good as anything the best advertising minds ever conceived. If Cassia says a cow can lay an egg, don't ask how, breach that skillet. He's Muhammad Ali, the Louisville Lip, the champ, the greatest. Yes, here I predict Mr. Liston's dismemberment. I'll hit him so hard, he'll wonder where October and November went. His brand is a curious mix of cockiness and grace in a lifetime of crushing adversity. Reporting to an induction center for the Vietnam draft, Ali thrice refused to step forward when his name was called, a felony punishable by heavy fine and five years in prison. I got no quarrel with the Viet Cong, he said. They never called me a nigger. It cost him his title, earned him death threats, and he would lose three of his prime fighting years. He was the first to regain the heavyweight title, not twice, but three times. 
His Thrilla in Manila against Joe Frazier is widely regarded as the nastiest, most unforgettable title fight of a generation. He remained heroic and a public figure through his fight with Parkinson's disease, which all but stilled that famous tongue. As a brand, Ali fascinates because of his ability, even when speech fails him, to steal attention from anyone in the room. He brought a singular combination of real-life courage and show business panache. Nearly five decades after he won gold in the Rome Olympics, mention the single name Ali, and you'll see instant recognition from people all over the world. Among those who've never watched boxing, among those born long after Ali left the ring for the last time. There's never been another human being, or for our purpose, another brand quite like him. Those are just six in a world of remarkable brands. A band, an entertainment icon, an arctic mammal, a city, a toy, and, well, the greatest. And the greatest made an interesting deal recently. Muhammad Ali sold the marketing rights to his name and iconic likeness, his brand, to an entertainment rights company for $50 million cash. The new entity will be called GOAT, which stands for Greatest of All Time. Remarkable brands give us a fascinating insight into ourselves. The brands you like say a lot about you just as the brands you avoid, even though heavily marketed to you, also define you. And those in my business spend a lifetime trying to figure out why those choices are made. Understanding this process helps you understand which brands are authentic and which are illusions, which are important and which are meaningless. A handy compass to have as you navigate your way through the age of persuasion. Talk about remarkably bland. The Age of Persuasion is created and written by Terry O'Reilly and Mike Tennant. Uh, don't you mean remarkable brands? <laughs> Dream on. Engineer Keith Ullman, whose brand resonates throughout the audio industry like a Yoko Ono vocal. About Ari Posner and Ian Lefevre, let's just say what happens in the title theme stays in the title theme. Enough said. The Age of Persuasion is produced for CBC Radio by Pirate Toronto.